Welcome to the NESPP's Equity Expert Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Barbara Baksha, and I'm the Executive Director of the NESPP. For today's episode, we have another installment in our half-empty, half-full format. For those of you who missed our past episodes in this format, here's how it works. I introduce a topic, and our guest has to decide whether his opinion of it means negative, that is half-empty, or positive, half-full. For this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into relative TSR awards. These are awards in which vesting is contingent on relative total shareholder return. They are one of the most direct methods of aligning executive pay with shareholder interests. And with me to discuss this topic is none other than Mr. Relative TSR himself, Terry Adamson. Terry has been a TSR enthusiast for as long as I've known him. So I can't think of a better person to help me examine some of the nuances of how these awards work. Welcome to the podcast, Terry. Thank you, Barb. That's quite an introduction. Well, before we get to my questions, I want to just take a minute and congratulate you on your new role. I know you've been on kind of a little bit of a journey with your career over the past few years, and I am so happy for you that you have ended up where you are. Do you want to fill our listeners in on where you landed and what you're doing now? Yeah, it's pretty special to be reunited with my friends at Infinite Equity. They've um, built a spectacular brand in a short time, and truthfully, it's only going to get better from here. We have a, a lot of new and innovative solutions in the pipeline, and I just want to keep creating magic with my clients. Well, that's awesome, Terry. I'm so happy for you. All right, well, let's get to our TSR questions. The NASPP has been tracking usage of TSR as a performance metric in the surveys that we conduct with Deloitte since around uh, 2007. Since then, among public companies that offer performance-based equity, we've seen the percentage that tie vesting to TSR double from 30% to over 60%. In fact, I've heard speculation that this trend hasn't reached its peak yet, that eventually we could see 80% or more of public companies utilizing TSR for their performance awards. Since your nickname is Mr. Relative TSR, I think I know what you're going to say here, but I still have to ask, are you half empty or half full on this prediction actually playing out? Good question. And your instincts are correct, Barb. I am absolutely half full. But I've been trying to forecast the prevalence over the last 15 years. When I've watched the markets in the UK and I've watched them in Australia, where employee equity is truthfully, it's more mature than here in the US. And they've reached prevalence levels at around 80% of companies. So I always kind of expected the US to trend towards 80% as well. In fairness, though, the US has one benefit over those other markets. The U.S. is a larger market and there's 5,000 publicly traded companies. That means it's a little bit easier to find a decent comparative peer group than those other markets. So maybe we could even go higher than 80%. I think the next big inflection point, the next switch to relative TSR will be during the next kind of long bear market. I thought that might occur with COVID in 2020, but truthfully, the economy corrected really quickly. So not enough pressure was put on companies to switch or adopt relative TSR. But So I'm half full. I think we are on our journey towards 80%, and it will happen at some point in the future. 
maybe even higher. All right. Well, good to know. One advantage of relative TSR awards is the simplicity of goal setting. You don't have to predict company financial performance several years out. You just have to set goals around how you want the company to perform as compared to its peers. This leads to the question, though, of what peers the company should be measured against. One obvious solution is to compare the company to an industry index, but some companies like to handpick their own custom peer group. That adds a whole extra level of complexity to TSR awards and some potential for manipulation. Are you half empty or half full on companies putting together their own custom peer groups? Half full again, Barb. Picking a comparative group, honestly, is the huge challenge about relative TSR plans. Our main objective is to tighten the alignment between pay and performance. And we aspire to create incentive structures that are fair and aligned to all stakeholders, including both the employee and the investor. But as part of that objective, we want to reward employees for what I would call idiosyncratic performance. By that, I mean their own bespoke actions and behaviors, as opposed to just market volatility, this lottery ticket. Sometimes the comparator group of companies you want to compete with for investor dollars. That sometimes is very different than who you're competing with for talent, the compensation peers in the CDNA. So I always recommend a very, very rigorous look at the potential peers, studying the financial metrics, studying GICS codes, or SIC codes, studying market metrics like beta or correlation coefficients or expected volatility or even what percentage of the expected volatility is idiosyncratic to themselves. There were a couple studies, academic studies, several years ago, where the academics, the professors, studied explicit relative TSR plans just like this and found that those companies that used broad market indices, let's say the S&P 500 as a comparator group, they actually had much lower alignment, pay for performance alignment, and that were subject to much more systematic volatility, systematic risk, and earnouts were just a function of the random market, which is unfortunate. And those academic studies went on to say that those broad indices could have been selected kind of to help their own success of the company. All that being said, Yes, I like to do all this rigorous work, all this rigorous analysis to come up with the best peer group, all these statistical measures. That being said, the most important thing is creating a super transparent structure, super transparent peer group that the participants buy in as being fair because those participants are the holders of perception of value. And the only real performance equity plans that are successful is when you can get the participants buy-in and to raise that perception of value. Hope that makes sense, Barb. Yeah, that does make sense. And it's interesting to me that, because my concern was if you're picking a custom peer group, that you just pick a bunch of companies you know you do better than so that you're going to come out ahead. But it sounds like that concern actually exists even using an index. You could just pick an index that you're likely to come out ahead again. Is that, did I understand your answer right there? Absolutely. I have bigger fears when you pick an index, a multi-sector index, 
of about being able to create opportunities, wealth opportunities off of that than I do if you pick custom bespoke companies, performance companies. You know, my experience is working with a lot of companies over the years. When I get to work with leadership themselves and picking those peers, they are doing it in good faith and picking the best peers that they think they compete with in the marketplace. And after I have those experiences, I generally feel that these executives and those leaders feel great about the pay for performance alignment, that they are creating a fair performance equity vehicle. Well, that's very interesting. All right. Uh, we've just survived two years of market and economic instability, and it seems like there is only more instability ahead. But because relative TSR awards measure companies against their peers rather than against absolute metrics, they can pay out even in periods when companies haven't experienced growth or have experienced a decline in shareholder return. This is something that investors sometimes take a dim view of, however. So let me ask you, how do you feel about it? Are you half empty or half full on TSR awards paying out even if the company's stock price performance has been negative? This is a tough one. You picked a topic that I could be half empty or I could be half full. I guess theoretically, I think if you beat the peers, you deserve to get an earn out greater than target. After all, an investor would have lost more money had they invested in one of your peers. So from a purely theoretical or an academic viewpoint, I would say that negative TSR thresholds are half empty. But to add an additional layer of complexity, a provision like that can reduce the accounting expense under ASC 718 by a few percent, let's say 3%. Through the accounting reduction, many companies will then increase the grant size by a proportional amount. Therefore, the executive would get more target shares. The provision kind of deleverages the instrument a little bit, get more worth less. And if an executive is confident that the next three years will have a positive TSR, and then therefore the provision won't have an impact, What a great way to increase the grant size. And from that perspective, I think a provision like that, I would call it half full. So I could kind of go both half empty or half full. Sorry to be in the middle. Well, that's okay. You could be in the middle. (laughs) You know, the way I feel about this is you hear investors complain all the time about equity awards just paying executives for market performance, that the stock price is up because the market's up. And then, you know, I heard that criticism a lot about stock options. And so I feel like relative TSR awards where you have to beat your peers is designed to address that criticism. And so for me, I feel like if you beat your peers, even though the market's down and your stock price is down because the market's down, if you beat your peers, you beat your peers. Like that's exactly what we're supposed to be compensating executives for. Totally agree with you. That's that theoretical view that an investor would have lost more money had they invested in one of those peers. So you deserve to be rewarded. All right. Well, let's move on to our next question. Some companies use relative TSR as a standalone metric and others use it as simply a modifier to their other metrics. In the modifier approach, the vesting might be tied to an operational metric, like say revenue or earnings per share, but the payout is adjusted or modified up or down based on the company's relative TSR performance. 
Are you half empty or half full on using TSR as a modifier rather than as a standalone metric? <laughs> Another tricky one. I can definitely understand the attraction to using TSR as a modifier. You create an internal operational metric that is actionable. And that, you know, because TSR is really an outcome of other actions. And modifiers have grown in prevalence. I think somewhere there's something like 15% of relative TSR plans are modifiers like this now. So they're, they're popping up all over the place. And typically that modifier is either plus or minus 25%, sometimes as much as 33%. That being said, I'd probably label it as half empty. I honestly prefer TSR as an independent measure. In my eyes, it's simpler for participants to understand. My gut instinct is it creates a stronger pay for performance alignment with investors. And honestly, I feel like a lot of these modifier plans are doing it as a way to minimize the weight on relative TSR. They're checking the box for governance groups. They're checking the box for investors that they have relative TSR, but they're trying to minimize the impact of it. So if I had to answer, I'd probably say half empty. I don't have a major problem with their use. I think it's probably okay. But my own personal preference is I would probably prefer it to be an independent relative TSR measure. All right, great. Thanks. Next up, I have a question about how companies measure relative TSR performance. There are multiple ways to do this. The method that I'm most familiar with is a percentile calculation. Uh, for example, the target is usually for the company to be at the median or 50th percentile of its peers. If the company manages to exceed that, then the payout is increased. And it usually maxes out once the company reaches somewhere around the 75th percentile. And if the company ends up being below the median, the payout is reduced, oftentimes with no payout if performance is below, say, the 25th percentile. Uh, another approach would be to just tie payouts to the company's numerical ranking. So the maximum payout would be if the company is first among its peers, and then the payout gets reduced as the company's rank gets lower. The last approach is an outperformance model, which I am not even going to attempt to explain. Terry, can you explain how an outperformance measurement works, and are you half empty or half full on this approach? This is one of my favorite approaches, to be honest. And I've personally always appreciated the outperformance design approach, even though it is really less prevalent in the marketplace compared to what you have seen. You, know, you alluded that you see traditional percentile rank plans. Outperform plans are rare to see. You just don't see them as often. As I want to explain this to everybody to help understand them, let me first preface with one of the kind of the maxims, one of the rules that I try to layout when I design a relative TSR plan. And that rule is small changes in TSR should not create big changes in earnout. And with that maxim, that rule, let me give a very extreme example of a percentile rank plan. And let's say this percentile rank plan has only 10 custom peers. And this company is in a very homogeneous industry and TSRs are expected to be within a pretty narrow band. And during that three-year performance period, that relative TSR performance period, every single peer, as outlandish as this seems, 
ends up with a TSR of exactly 10.00%. Ridiculous, right? It's not going to happen. This is an extreme example. And the company itself has a TSR of 10.01%. In that example, the company would be ranked number one and would earn out the maximum, typically 200%. Alternatively, say the stock price ends up just a little bit lower. And the final TSR is 9.99%. Therefore, they're ranked last and nothing gets paid out. This would be the type of plan that would violate that maximum that I talked about earlier. Where small changes in TSR create massive changes in earnouts for executives. That's the problem that an outperform plan can help mitigate. Because what an outperform plan does is it compares your TSR typically against the median of an index. In that extreme example, that I laid out, the median of the peers was 10%. And what that outperformed plan do is compare your TSR to that and try to capture the magnitude that you beat that median of the group of peers. So for example, if you yielded a TSR of 15%, the delta between the 15% and the median of 10%, is you beat it by 5% or 500 basis points. And for every 1% or every 100 basis points, however you want to communicate it, that you beat the comparator group by, then an additional percentage will vest, for example, 5%. So if you got 15% and the comparator group was 10, you beat it by 5%, an additional 25% best. Likewise, if you lose to the comparator group for every percentage point or every 100 basis points you lose to, negative 5% best. If you yielded a 5% TSR to their 10%, only 75% best. And it doesn't have to be plus or minus 5% that I just laid out. It could be 3%, 4%, 5%, depending on the volatility. But what I really think is elegant about this approach is it captures the magnitude that you beat your peers by, and it better replicates how an investor would receive rewards for that, because an investor would capture the magnitude of returns. So anyway, it's been one of my favorite styles for a long time. Unfortunately, not many companies have it in boards are more comfortable with the percentile rank approach. Leadership have used that percentile approach before. So I don't see a ton of them, although I would call it half full. I really like the approach. All right, so just listening to your ex- explanation, which is really helpful. So is it sort of like, you know, if you're betting on a football game, not just betting on your team to win, but betting on what the point spread is going to be? Is that, is that a fair analogy? I think that's reasonable. I like it, Mark. Can I use that in the future? Absolutely. <laughs> I can't believe I used a football metaphor. That's hilarious, actually, <laughs> frankly. Anyone who knows me know I knows that I don't know the first thing about football, except apparently how to bet on the games. 
Well, uh, thanks for that explanation. That was super helpful. And I'm glad I have you a recording of you giving that explanation so that now I can go back and refer to it every time I need to try to remember how an outperformance plan works. <laughs> All right. Well, when, uh, so one last question here. When it comes to market-based awards, relative TSR is by far the most common metric used. But recently, we've seen some companies branch out to other metrics. A few years ago, Tesla granted a massive award to Elon Musk that ties vesting in part to the company's market cap. And Robinhood has granted awards to its executives in which vesting is tied to absolute stock price targets. Are you half empty or half full on these other market-based alternatives to relative TSR? Great examples. Yeah, you know, there's been some super interesting innovations. The Tesla brand, where they used market cap, was interesting. And the stretch, there were stretch market cap goals were impressive at the time. And also remember those awards also had some significant operational measures tied to them as well. But realistically, market cap isn't that much different than stock price. As the calculation of market cap is just stock price times the number of shares outstanding. I challenge, my struggle with market cap is that it seems like it could potentially influence behavior. Would an executive team be more interested in just growing market cap, maybe potentially buying or acquiring companies and growing that market cap, even at the potential hurting current investors? Because you can all, always overpay to buy a company. There are scenarios where that market cap can increase, but yet the value to investors does not. So it would require diligence if you used market cap as a measure about stripping out potential events like acquiring companies. That makes me a little uneasy. So I'm not in love with using market cap, but that being said, those particular awards have been super incredibly successful for investors. The Robinhood awards you brought up, they're a little bit different. Absolute price targets. They make a ton of sense, especially if you can't create relative peers. The company tells me there's no peers in the marketplace just like me. We just want to trust our own targets. These Robinhood awards make a lot of sense, an absolute stock price. And remember, these absolute stock price goals, like what Robinhood had, not that much different than the payout function that you can create with a stock option, which are based inherently absolute stock price goals by themselves. Something similar to what Robin Hood granted with those absolute stock price goals was the concept of the market stock unit that was created about 10 years ago by F.W. Cook. And that market stock unit was an absolute stock price goal that leverages the number of shares based upon your absolute stock price returns. I really like that instrument as well, but it never caught on as much as I thought it really would. A bunch of years back, I, I was really thinking that relative TSR awards might evolve to a relative sharp ratio calculation. And the sharp ratio it's a risk-adjusted TSR, where you adjust the TSR by the volatility. And I really, theoretically, love the concept. But in fairness, I couldn't get anybody to adopt it. Not one. A couple of companies in Europe and Australia adopted it. But in the U.S., not 
one. And I really love the concept. I think it's just a little bit more complicated than what the marketplace was ready for right now. Relative TSR is still relatively complex for a lot of participants. So I couldn't get any relative sharp ratio plans at the time. But anyway, all of these innovations are great. And I think they're all good evolutions in performance equity here in the United States. And truthfully, I hope we see a lot more of them over the next several years. Well, that is all very interesting. And also uh, good to know that there's still room for market-based awards to evolve. I look forward to our follow-up, half empty, half full on relative sharp ratio awards in just a few years, I'm sure. It might be longer than that. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I won't hold my breath then. Well, those are all my questions. So that is a wrap on this episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Terry. It was really fun to talk to you about TSR Awards. Thanks, Barb. It's my favorite topic, so I appreciate you having me. For those of you who want to explore other aspects of performance awards, Terry has authored a series of guest entries in the NASPP blog. His most recent entry explores how companies can improve their estimate of expected volatility. He's also written about the five dimensions of incentives and how to size TSR awards when they're granted after the start of the performance period. We'll post a link to all of his blogs in our show notes. Thanks to our audience for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you are notified when we post new episodes.